a big conversation. We're taking three weeks to talk about idols, but we could really take ages. And so um, I'm the sort of person that loves to kind of say everything, but I can't say everything tonight. But I want to just frame up that the big picture we sit in with this is that um, our response when we think how do we faithfully respond um, in a world of idolatry comes as a response to God's faithfulness to us. We love because God first loved us. We're faithful in response to God because he was first faithful to us. So I'm just putting that, that is the big picture. So tonight, we are in um, Daniel 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who I'm going to call Shad, Mesh, and Benny for the sake of time. And I think it'll save us probably a few minutes by the time we get to the end of the talk. And so, um, yeah, tonight we've got quite a long verse, so I'm going to break it into three parts, and we'll have a little kind of conversation about what is happening in each of those, and then think about what does that mean for us. So, part one, empire. King Neb made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he'd made. So, the satraps and all the other fancy people assembled for the dedication of that image that King Neb had set up. And they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of God that King Neb has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the horn and all the other instruments, All the nations and people of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So this is what empires do. They create images that they call us to serve. They want to maintain their power and so they create a system of control. They create something for you to serve and then they establish the consequences for you if you don't. And in this, in this instance, it's thought that the image that the king set up was perhaps an image of himself um, as a god to be worshipped. So this was a way for him to call people together in alliance to his kingdom, his empire. Um, so we read here that he gets these representatives from throughout the kingdom to come together and to swear allegiance, to place themselves before this image he set up. And there's kind of a strategic thing going on here. Um, and we can think about how kind of idolatry gets peddled down the line. So the satraps and all the fancy people are called to bow down, and then they go into their kind of roles of power, and they cause other people to bow down and serve them. And so, um, yeah, just if you stand on that first slide, the idea is that we um, are called to serve something. Everyone serves something, but what you serve, you end up kind of causing other people to serve. So we're just going to... Place that there, carry on with the story. So, part two, non-compliance. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn and all the other music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who you've set over the affairs in the province of Babylon, Shad, Mesh, and Beni, who pay no attention to you. 
your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shad, Mesh, and Benny. These three men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shad, Mesh, and Benny, that you do not serve my gods and worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the horn and all the other instruments, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shad, Mesh, and Benny replied to him, King Neb, we do not need to defend ourselves before you on this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. These guys, eh? So, Shad, Mish, and Benny are non-compliant. They do not fall into line with the dominant order of the day. They are not going to serve the idols that the king has set up. And we see, interestingly, that these guys have a place of authority within the king's empire. They um, are in Babylon with some authority. But when it comes to this moment of testing their true allegiance... They show that they're aligned to God's rule and authority. They show who they first serve. And I think just to pick up on what we were talking about before is that we um, live in a world where we're called to, have, to come under the rule of a lot of different things. We're under the rule of law and we have landlords and bosses and a part of education institutions and all sorts of things where we have to kind of have authority and be under authority But there comes a moment sometimes, and this is where we need the work of God to show us when that thing is an idol um, and when maybe there's a moment for non-compliance. So, as Scott said last week, we give power to idols by choosing to offer up our gold. So last week's story, we were in, um, yeah, the story of the golden calf. So people were kind of throwing in their earrings and their gold to build this calf to create the idol. And they gave it power by giving up their gold but also choosing to celebrate it, choosing to kind of um, invest their allegiance to it. And in this week's story, King Nebuchadnezzar himself has kind of um, fronted with the gold. He's built the image. But the thing that gives it power is the people choosing to give their allegiance to it, choosing to bow down before it. So we give power, we choose to give up our power, ourselves, our allegiance to the thing. And the point here that I'm going to come back to is that we get to choose whether we buy into the lie of the idol, of saying, yep, we're going to submit ourselves to this thing. On with the story. And so, to part three of the story, a work of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shad, Mesh, and Benny, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie them up and to throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, men, this is so funny, the person that wrote this was so into detail. These men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, <laughs> were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shad, Mesh, and Benny. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then 
King Neb leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men who were tied up and thrown into the fire? And his advisors said, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the furnace and shouted, Shad, Mish, Benny, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shad, Mish and Benny came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects and all the other fancy people crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was their hair singed or their robes scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Neb said, Praise be to the God of Shad, Mish, and Benny, who has sent his angel to rescue his servants. They trusted in him and defied my, the king's orders. They were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any gods except their God. So on this third bit, things get pretty wild. Um, scholars reckon that the king's instructions to turn up the furnace seven times hotter is actually just like, turn it up as hot as it, hot as it will go, just like crank that thing up. The king wants these people to feel the full brunt of um, his wrath. It's in no way okay for him that people could go against his orders. And that's the way it is um, with things that have power. For anyone that's ever seen a movie about anything, actually, this kind of comes up. (laughs) I was thinking about this. I was like, man, it's just everywhere. That um, when you have power, you can't have people coming in and showing that your power means nothing. And so you need to do something about enforcing it. And this is, this is what happens here, that the, the king, who's just set up this image to say, I am powerful, can't have these mates um, deliberately going against that. And so, um, yeah, he comes down pretty hard on them. But what we see is that these men are faithful right into the face of the furnace. And this miracle occurs where God's presence is with them in the fire and they aren't affected by it. God is shown to be true and real and the kind of supposed power of the idol is shown to be fake. God is present and powerful even in the fire. And so we're going to dive into those kind of three ideas that I've pulled out. And um, if we hop just to, yeah, that guy. So the three things aren't like a one, two, three checklist, but I think it's helpful to think that these three ideas of knowing who we serve, of um, not buying into the lie of the idol and needing to experience, well, knowing that we can experience God's power and God's presence when the heat gets turned up, um, they kind of cycle around, that we know who we serve, um, we don't buy into the lie, but pressure comes on, but when the pressure comes on, then we like experience God's breakthrough, and then we know, oh, this is who we are, and so it goes round. So, we'll start with know who you serve. You serve the Most High God. All throughout the Old Testament, the way God was talked about by different people, um, it changes, but it's always about the same God. But people tell the story. They say, God, this is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. This is the God who rescued you out of slavery in Israel. And we could add to that, this is the God who so loved the world that he gave his life to redeem it. And in order to live faithfully, we need to know who we serve. This is what we see um, the heroes from the story doing. They were in these positions of authority in the empire, but ultimately they knew that they needed to be faithful to God. They were called to bow down to the dominant culture of the day. Um, But because they knew who they served, they didn't comply when those orders came. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. 
Either you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. And in this instance, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. No one can serve two masters. We have to know who we serve. Because if it isn't God, it will be something else. As Scotty said last week, our desire to kind of create idols comes from this desire to have security um, at the root of it all. So whether it's wealth or to be liked or just to have a pleasurable life, um, to have a, a sense of control over our worth was a big one that came up. We seek out something um, and we serve it to think, in thinking that that will make us secure. And in this instance, um, Shad, Mish and Benny like, had their lives and their jobs on the line but they didn't bow down to serve those things because they knew ultimately um, they were called to serve God. And so everyone serves something. And what we see here is that the astrologers kind of became the forces of the culture they bowed down to. That um, when you serve something, you end up kind of calling other people into it. And I was thinking about how there's just like a million different examples of this, but like to take kind of pervasive drinking culture in New Zealand as one. When people buy into the, the idea that to be cool you need to get just totally trolleyed, they kind of end up exhibiting this peer pressure on other people to get them to buy into the same thing. That whatever we kind of invest ourselves in, we end up kind of pushing that onto other people. And um, this can happen for, for better or for worse. And so in the case of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they have decided to serve God. And because of that, um, it becomes obvious that they're serving God. And therefore, that kind of runs them into trouble. They knew that saying yes to serving God wholeheartedly meant saying no to serving other things. No one can serve two masters. And I want to just share here um, a story. What has been really cool, this kind of sermon series has been a little while in the brew, and I felt like um, God's been quite faithful in like teaching me some things kind of ahead of us sharing them at church. So, um, yeah, earlier this year I was challenged around moving into town to serve Blueprint. Some of you know that I was living at Lyle Bay for a few years with the crew. Yeah, not, not there anymore. I used to live with Lauren, but yeah. Um, I was living at Lyle Bay. Those guys were church planting to Lyle Bay. And I really loved living there, but I'd chosen to serve in town. And so I was like, oh, actually, that's kind of where I need to be. And... Yeah, what was, I guess, tricky about that? Like, it's only a 20-minute drive and all that. But um, I really had loved living there, and it had been a real gift from God. But the thing I learned in thinking about what to choose is that it can become easy for us to love the gift rather than the giver. And if you're not willing to hold the gift lightly, um, to sort of say, oh, God, this is a non-negotiable, whatever, um, you kind of miss the point. That's idolatry. And that's why, picking up from Scott's point last week, we need the Spirit of God to call our attention to things. It's not always that you're worshipping a 27-metre-tall golden image. Sometimes it's other things. And um, actually, the good gifts of God, the, the good things that God gives us, those can be the trickiest ones to know where our heart is in relation to that. So we have to know who we serve. And it must start with us um, yeah, loving and serving the giver, not the gift. Does that make sense? Cool. Yeah, so kind of this, this was going on, and I kind of felt like God led me through this process of trust on a lot of levels, facing up to um, a lot of fears I had and like little idols in my life. 
And so I remember one night at Blueprint praying about, um, yeah, praying about this and getting this kind of image of maybe like an altar um, and that being like where God was, where Christ was, and then kind of having like little mini altars in front of that with little kind of pictures of different things. And, um, yeah, which were just kind of things that are good things, but that shouldn't be in the space between me and God. So things like um, having a place to live, or having a good job, or having someone to marry, or doing what my friends think is good. Those kind of things that, if they come and be between us and God, um, are an idol. And in this kind of picture I had from God, um, the work of the Spirit was just to like blow them over. That those things um, kind of had the sense that those were supposed to be behind me, that maybe those are the good gifts of God for God to sort out, but that um, I had to kind of face this way and not have anything in that space in between. And so that's kind of become a picture for me to say, oh God, like, is there anything in that space in between? Yeah, and so we see, um, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we live in a culture that calls us to bow to things. And we need the work of God to know, to enable us to see what it is we're bowing down to. But we need to know who we serve. Um, yeah, and Romans says, Romans 12, it says, Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. And so my second point, this don't buy into the lie. I originally had this entitled don't buy into the drama. Because I kind of thought it was punchier. But it's a, it's a lying drama. Um, yeah, to see things for what they are, we need to not buy into the lie and the power. And I think a good way to learn to do this is to learn to kind of laugh in the face of idols. I remember um, Susie saying um, whenever she'd get like, bad kind of thoughts in her head about herself, um, something she'd learned to do was to sing them out loud, out loud in a silly voice, and it kind of disarms the power of that kind of gross, evil thing. So um, this is kind of something we can do as well. We can learn to not buy into the drama and the lies that idols peddle. Um, so I've learned to do this with advertising. In a culture saturated by consumerism, um, I find it helpful to just try and spot the lie and then like laugh at it. Like, Isn't that silly? So you know, you're walking down Lampton Quay or you're on Facebook or you're on the bus or you're just literally anywhere and there's advertising. And... Um, you know, you see like really happy, sexy people selling like jeans or toilet paper or coke or a car, and um, it's like spot the lie. It's like, ha, you're saying that I'll be happy if I buy that toilet paper, or I'll be cool if I buy those jeans. Ha 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 ha, that's so silly. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like that is bullshit. <laughs> and it's kind of like, it's. Because that's the undercurrent of what's going on. They're not actually selling you the toilet paper. They're selling you this other thing. And if you can spot the other thing, you cannot buy into the lie. I encourage you all to try it. Um, yeah. And so it, it enables us to not give up our gold to the idol. If we, can, if we can spot the lie and if we can kind of laugh in the face of it, it helps to disarm that power. And this is exactly what we see... Um, Chad, Mish, and Benny doing. They just don't buy into the lie. They don't kind of feel the need to justify themselves before Nebuchadnezzar. They say, King Neb, 
We do not need to defend ourselves before you on this matter. Like they're not flustered. They're not like, oh, mm. you know, they're not buying into it. They don't buy into his drama. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, like, you know, you could not throw us in. That would be okay. If we are, the God we serve, they know who they serve, is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve the gods that you have created, the images you have set up. So they know who they serve, and they have resolved themselves not to buy into the drama and the lies. And so my final point is um, up there, that God is with us. God is present and powerful in the fire. Because the thing is, um, when... You serve God when you are kind of um, choosing to serve God and not to serve some other things. People will notice. The astrologers came to Nark to the king um, about these guys. And then the king got all up in their grill about it um, and asked them, why aren't you bowing down to this thing that I've asked you, told you to do? And that'll happen with us. People, um, because we live in New Zealand, probably not going to get thrown into a blazing furnace. But, yeah will probably seem weird. You will be noticed. There'll be uncomfortable conversations. And if you've made an idol out of always seeming cool or never being uncomfortable, it'll be really hard to stand, um, I guess, faithfully in those situations. So yeah, kind of need to be prepared to have those weird moments. But God is with us. God is present. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're called to remember that God is more powerful than the idols we stand against. We are called to be faithful to the God we serve. We see that with these guys, they believe that God would deliver them, and that even if God didn't deliver them in the way they were wanting, they were willing to remain faithful. And so they get tossed in the fire. But God defends them, and they aren't burnt. God was present to them in an even more real way in that kind of intense moment. He did not leave them, but was near at hand. His power was actually displayed in that moment that they um, chose to stand in faithfulness to him. Their stand became an opportunity for God's power to show um, that God was powerful and true and that the yarns of King Nebuchadnezzar were fake and he has a massive change of heart. And so we sit... A long way from the story um, on the other side of Jesus coming to earth and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And we know that Jesus promised never to forsake us, but that the Spirit would be our companion always and enable us, give us the words to take, take stands for God. And what we see here is that God has given the opportunity to work powerfully when um, we kind of choose to respond with faithfulness, to speak truth in our lives of to the lies of the dominant culture and to say, we won't bow down. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Just love that. Jesus himself said, um, in those moments we are blessed, actually. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and celebrate. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. And so, friends, um, that's what I think 
it takes to stand faithfully before idols. God enables it all, but we um, have to know who we serve. We need to not buy into the lie and remember that God will be present and powerful when the temperature gets turned up. And so, um, yeah, we'd just like to invite you to kind of respond in a few different ways to that. I think, as Scott said last week, it's the work of the Spirit to reveal to us, and as we were saying before, um, what the idols are. We need God's help to know when something has gone from being um, perhaps a good gift to something we're maybe a little bit fixated on. Because um, sometimes, you know, idols are like really big, blah, crazy gold image, but sometimes it is the good things as well. So, um, yeah, if you would like prayer for that, um, for God to either do that work of revelation in you, or um, if there's something that God places on your heart and you want prayer, um, head over to the cross. We'd love to pray with you. And the second way is, um, yeah, if you're kind of feeling like the, the temperature is turned up or you need um, God's empowering and strengthening in order to um, take that stand, um, yeah, we'd love to pray with you. So also head over to the cross and be blessed in that. Hmm. Yeah, we will get the crew up to lead us in worship. But maybe just take like a moment to be still and ask God to kind of um, shine a light on something I've shared.